This podcast series, A Legacy of Kindness, telling the story of Jaya's, is compiled from oral histories and produced as part of a digital exhibition exploring the rich history of the UK's trans and gender diverse charity, the Gender Identity Research and Education Society. Episode 1 The Birth of Gyres. Before the 1960s, trans people self identified and accessed affirmative medical care of their choice. It was only in the mid to late 1960s that opposition to that began. From 1970 to 1996, trans people were unable to marry, unable to adopt, and had no employment rights. The Institute of Personnel Management advised employers to dismiss all trans people in case they might offend a future hypothetical employee or employer or customer. Support groups started to be set up like Press for Change. It was during the early 90s that Bernard and Terry Reid had to navigate this harsh landscape when their daughter Nikki began to be horrifically bullied at work for being trans. This led this cisgender couple to become advocates to help protect other trans people from similar experiences. And the Gender Identity Research and Education Society was born. All the way through this terrible period that I typify as the transgenocide period from the 70s through the 80s into the early 90s, support groups started to be set up. You can imagine what it was like. Uh, you were just living your life and everything was fine, and then suddenly you're not and nothing's fine and things have changed radically. So in the 1970s and 80s, lots of trans support groups grew up to try to make sense of the new environment and to create community and give support. Alice Pennell is really noteworthy for having started out with the Beaumont Trust and she developed that into the Gender Trust. Meanwhile, Stephen Whittle, who seems to have been an activist almost from the minute that he took breath, was busy organising. And in 1992, together with Mark Rees, after Mark had lost his case in the European Court of Human Rights, Mark initiated and Stephen went on to lead an organisation called Press for Change. Press for Change was just a tiny little group, but terribly important organisation. And Stephen, of course, was hugely important because he was an academic lawyer writing his doctorate on trans law. I'd started working with the trans community groups uh, after Section 28 in 1988, and uh, I joined Press for Change just after it was started. And so we were constantly working together on the one hand doing lots and lots of consciousness raising and sort of education and so on, and on the other hand doing the political lobbying and the legal cases. That provided a body of knowledge and it also provided a focus and a locus for support. I 
found out that Lynn Jones, who was the Labour MP for Selly Oak in Birmingham, had a lot of interest in trans issues, so I contacted her office in Parliament, got to know her and her, um, I presume it was an assistant. We used to spend lots and lots of time talking on the phone, really got on well, and I was recommended to join Press for Change, so I did. We had organised a meeting of uh, all of the solicitors and barristers currently involved in bringing cases on behalf of trans people to get together with Liberty and Press for Change. At that meeting, one of the people that, had, that confirmed their presence there as an observer was Bernard Reid. I'd met Bernard prior to that and said, look, this meeting's going on. Uh, you should come and uh, have a look and see what's what, given that you're going to court yourself for your daughter. And initially, Bernard and Terry engaged very strongly indeed with Press for Change and were very important to its work. Having gone through the case and had some help then from Press for Change, I thought, well, you know, that's been a horrible experience for Nikki. We must stop it happening to other people. Press for Change, which is very much into campaigning and politicising, I thought, well, that's all right, but what about educating all the other people? Employers, families, people in the street. What can we do there? Bernard said, we must, must do something to stop this happening to other people. And that's when he and others started to set up the Gender Identity Research and Education Society, Giles. The group of Press for Change Vice Presidents met in London on a day when we were delivering a petition to 10 Downing Street and we worked out what we're going to do by setting up this charity. And thus it was, on Wednesday the 29th of October 1997, the inaugural general meeting of the Transsexualism Research and Education Society was held at the Abbey Community Centre in Great Smith Street in London. And that was the start of Gyres. It's uh, changed its name from uh, Tress to Gyres. It shifted transsexualism to gender identity. First thing was, we need to find a name. And I'd kind of like half prepared something. So I said, well, really we need something that's going to have an acronym. And if we can come up with something like the Gender Identity Research and Education Society, that would give you an acronym of GIRES. And they said, oh, that's good. So they kind of like adopted it there on the spot. So we got charitable status in 1998. And the question was raising money, how do we do that? And I said, we mustn't raise it from the community because typically trans people are not well off. And we made therefore our membership fee five pounds a year. And we set out trying to raise money bit by bit by bit. We got money from here and everywhere. In due course, we found we could make money by doing training. So we did that. And as we got more known and more influential, we began to engage with the government talking about policy matters. 
we have always kind of functioned at, at more than one level. So there's been this kind of academic, scientific level, but hugely important, the reaching out to people as individuals, to loving and caring about people as individuals and trying to help their families absorb that and, and take that forward so that people can go forward in peace rather than surrounded by anger and hatred and all the awful things that society can do to people it doesn't like. Many of our early customers, if you like, were adults who have transitioned and their families, their spouses and their partners and their children were finding it really hard. And we'd have open days when people would come. The biggest family group we had was about 30. It just grew and grew and grew. They'd be very nice and saying, can we bring so many more? You know, yes, 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 of course. At that time, Bernard and Terry was more or less operating the charity from their family home. I just remember the feeling of being really inspired. More than anything, also their story of how Jaya's came about, that it is actually a family story, the story of the Reed family and how a straight cisgender married couple came to become really fierce and important trans and gender diverse campaigners and researchers and founded a charity to do with their daughter, Nikki. I was extremely touched, moved and inspired by it all. But I felt always very close in that sense and, and very embraced within that environment that was both a charity and a family environment. It's always important to note that before the 1960s, trans people self-identified, they accessed affirmative medical care of their choice, they corrected their birth certificates in the UK, and they lived in complete equality. It was only in the mid to late 1960s that opposition to that began, so that from 1970 to 1996, trans people were unable to marry, unable to adopt, had no employment rights. The Institute of Personnel Management advised employers to dismiss all trans people in case they might offend a future hypothetical employee or employer or customer. Being trans was itself a cause for dismissal, irrespective of how well you did the job or how long you'd been doing it. And this combination of legal exclusion social ostracism and a new NHS regime which demanded compulsory sterilization or no treatment at all. I have watched and heard, listened to other people and their situations, to trans people, to gay people, to people who are different in any way, about the torture that they've been put through because, because they're different. And it was one of the things that underpinned our whole approach to working in this field is that people must be supported for who they are.
This podcast series of oral histories is part of the exhibition Jaya's A Legacy of Kindness, a project made possible with the National Lottery Heritage Fund, thanks to National Lottery players. It was produced by Lucia Scazzocchio from Social Broadcasts, with sound design and original music by Samuel Robinson, and narrated by Corin Foddering. The community curator sub-team was led by Georgia Marker, with special thanks to all the contributors who agreed to share their stories. For more information about what you've just heard, do visit the project website lok.girs.org.uk.